0: Welcome to Faith Center Foursquare Church's message of the week. For more information on the church or ministry, head on over to our website, eurekafaithcenter.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Now, we hope you enjoy this message. So our current series is Resurgence, and we are talking about From Darkness to Light. And to do that, we are going to look briefly at the life of Samuel in a little while. We're going to start from actually the New Testament and work our way back to the Old. And when we look at the Old, we're going to see how God has used even Old Testament personalities to help us in our New Testament experience. But before we go to the Old, I've, like I said, I've got some new, and I, I want to also bring up three things related to the topic that we're in. So first of all, resurgence. What does resurgence mean? Resurgent means rising again into life, activity, or prominence. And as we go through this morning's message, I want you to do this. I want you to ask God what He wants to bring back to life and or bring it to the forefront in your relationship with Him and those around you. So maybe it's something... That was alive in your life, but hasn't been so much. Or there's something in your life, that, in your relationship with him that you've, you've neglected. It's just been pushed down a little bit. Maybe he wants to bring that to the forefront in your relationship with him and with others. And the third thing, is there something in your walk with Jesus that's gone truly cold, which is related to the one we just shared, but really needs his light to shine on it? So I want you to just think about that. Is there there something that you've let go of? Is there something that needs His light to shine on it? And be open to His Holy Spirit as we go through this, that He would be speaking to you even as we listen to this message. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. When we accept Him as Savior, we move from darkness to light. That moment of accepting Jesus into our life, the Bible calls justification. We often call the experience of accepting Jesus and his forgiveness in our lives salvation, but salvation has three parts. And so I want to tell you those three parts and tell you about the part that we're going to focus on. The first part is accepting his forgiveness. The second part is living life with him and becoming more like him each day. And, being, and the third part, being resurrected to spend eternity with him. The three parts are called justification, sanctification, and glorification. And like I said, we're going to focus on the middle part, the daily part, as we look at this topic of moving from darkness into light. And this is necessary because we live our lives moment by moment and day by day. We really do need to focus on the part in the middle from when we accepted Jesus until when we get to go be with him. When we fail at something, there's often a cost do we have any athletes in here that you would raise your hand and maybe you were a former athlete or current athlete good um i can't claim to be very athletic but i do enjoy some things i've been a cyclist that's person who rides bicycles seriously um yeah there is a difference Um, so i've been a cyclist for about four decades and Cyclists are a little bit twisted in the brain. Um, It probably comes from spinning pedals all the time. Um, We actually enjoy a certain amount of pain. It's hard to understand, but it's part of the experience. So if you don't enjoy pain, you can stop listening. I'll be short on my story. Um, I know we have some runners. Uh, I know we have at least one other cyclist, Rick, who's often running the sound back there, but not today. but I'm going to use that to illustrate just something about the cost and tie it to our walk with Jesus. As as we walk with Jesus, there, there's a cost for failure. There's a cost for sin and disobedience. And we're going to look more at that as we go through this. But let me try to relate it to my experience as a cyclist. And I always want to point us to this, that... Even though there's a loss when we do something in our walk with Jesus, if there's sin, it is in God's nature to rescue us when we ask Him because He loves us, right? So let's not forget that. So, but, but I want to share an experience that happened a long time ago. I, I went out on a beautiful day. We do have some beautiful days here. It was a sunny, bright day. It was July 7th because I remember it was my youngest sister's birthday, and I was thinking about her as I was on a ride. I was out past College of the Redwoods. I was at the base of Hookton Road, and I was about to go up Hookton Hill. It's not a big hill. And as I was looking at the hill, looking at my goal, I reached down to grab my water bottle and take a drink. And in that moment, I took my left hand off the handlebars for some reason, and I hit a bad spot in the road. And my handlebars went immediately 90 degrees, and I went over the hand. You're nodding your head like you might have been there before. And... I went over the handlebars, hit the pavement so hard. But coming down around the hairpin turn were two people in an old Ford pickup, I think it was. I think it was red and white because it was pretty etched in my brain. And I'm telling you, they were watching me hit the ground and their eyes were that big. It was like, you know, it it was one of those looks. And so they stopped. I got up. I'm bloody. I'm a mess. Handlebars are crooked. Brake levers are crooked. It's just a complete disaster. And yet I thought to myself, no, cyclists are supposed to enjoy this. This is That's not really what I thought. I thought, wow, this hurts. And, and I, I, I was just a mess. I was all torn up down my side. And, and I thought, no, It's just a beautiful day. I really did. I thought, no, this is a beautiful day. I don't want to waste it. Yes, I'm a mess. My bicycle's never going to be the same. I'm going to have to put stickers on it where there weren't stickers before to hide the damage. I'm going to have to do some things to get it back in shape, but I banged it in shape. I continued on my ride, and I want to say this. How many times in our lives have we failed? Something has happened. We've taken our hands off the bars. We've done something wrong, and we've gone down like that. We've suffered injury, and, and, and we've, thank you, and we've either been defeated by, that's it, I'm done, or we've dusted ourselves off, and we've got back up, I should say gotten back up. We've gotten back up, and we continue on the journey. Yeah. Well, that's the kind of attitude I want to share as we look at this this morning. You know, bad things happen, sometimes by our choice, sometimes not by our choice. But when they do happen, we can make a choice to continue on the journey no matter what. There will be consequences, but we can still continue. I'm glad you got that point. I was really nervous about the bike story. I didn't know if that was going to work. So God's nature is to love and save us. But sin and disobedience always have a cost. The second one is really important. As followers of Jesus, we have been delivered from darkness, sin, and disobedience into the light. And... That that initial deliverance is that part that I talked about called justification. But our next step is to grow in God because God has a plan and a purpose. And he wants to make us more and more like Jesus every day. That's his purpose, to make us more and more like Jesus every day. Now, there are a lot of things that can come into that purpose. He can give you a beautiful partner in your life whom you've been with for 43 years. That could be part of his plan. Or who knows what may come your way. But God has a plan and a purpose, and He's going to use the circumstances in your life to shape you into the best image of His Son that He can shape you into. And if we can hold on to that, when things get discouraging, when we get knocked off the bike, and we are a bloody mess... We can keep going knowing that His purpose is to shape us into the image of His Son. That's His goal. And so with that, I want to share Romans eight twenty eight and 29 with you. And I want to invite you to read this with me. Here we go. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose, For those God foreknew, he also predestined, and catch this part, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I'm so glad they included sisters in that, aren't you? So many times in the Bible it focuses on the male, but Paul had it on that one. And then the next one is from 1 John And it's chapter 1, and it's the second half of verse 5 through verse 7. And read this with me as well, because I think it's really important when we say the words. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light... We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Amen. Boy, I'll tell you during worship today, I was feeling washed. I was feeling so cleansed by his spirit. And guys, I want to I ask you this. Do I have permission at any time that I want to, to come over and just hang with you like during? Okay. All right. All right. I was I was almost there today, and I just, I didn't want to break the vibe, so, all right. <laughs> now, turning to Samuel, because I mentioned that we were going to use Samuel, Samuel is a great Old Testament example of a life well-lived for God. I'm sorry I'm so emotional right now, but the Holy Spirit really did a number on me earlier, and I'm... Trying to work through that. He was used by God to move Israel from darkness into light. And Samuel was born at a very dark time in Israel's history. He was the last of the judges in Israel. Before there was a king, Israel was in a repeating cycle of, oh, there's that word cycle. Um, (laughs) Sorry, this is a bad connotation of cycle. Israel was in a repeating cycle of turning from God, oppression by their enemies, calling out to God for rescue, God rescuing them through a judge, and then doing it all over again. And I invite you to go back and read Judges because you'll see that cycle repeated again and again and again. And I know that in our own personal lives, we can get discouraged when we have a repetitive cycle. But again, I want to remind you that even in the midst of our failures, God is love. He's always there to rescue and that's one thing we see from Judges, is he's always there to rescue. Samuel, uh, let me back up a little bit. Um, so that's the setting that First uh, Samuel begins. It, it, it's this cycle of just bad behavior, destruction, rescue, turning to God, and then it turning away from God and going all over again. And it's in this setting that 1 Samuel begins, and we learn the circumstance of his birth. He was promised into God's service by his very devout mother, Hannah, before he was conceived. And it's a wonderful story from the first chapter of 1 Samuel. And Samuel was Hannah's answered prayer, the child God gave her to end her barrenness. She dedicated him into God's service, and now this is too long for you to join me in reading it, but I'm going to try to read it fast enough to get through it, but slow enough so you can understand it. So I'm going to read a pretty lengthy passage from 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the land. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. So there really was um, social media before there was social media. (laughs) This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah. Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Okay, this also tells us that for a long time men have not really understood the fairer gender. All right? just He's trying to be nice, but he really doesn't get what she's going through. We can each go through things that other people really don't get, but God does. Right? I mean, he clearly is without a clue here. But God knows. So once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son... Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. What she's doing is she's making the Nazarite vow for her son. And the other Nazarite vowed person that we know from Judges was Samson. Now, Samson was the counterexample to Samuel. Samuel walked in his vow his entire life. We know that Samson did not, just as a contrast. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli, another kind of clueless guy, Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? <laughs> Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. Troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Now, if you went back and look at, looked at Eli, looked at his sons, not a, good, not a good story by this time. This was probably the most profound last thing that Eli ever did in his in his role. He was one of the judges. He was the last judge before Samuel. He was one of the judges and he was the, he was the priest. She said, verse 18, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. You know, when God makes a promise, you should, your countenance can change. Amen. We don't know the timing. We don't know how long, but clearly she went from being totally distraught to being Uplifted, knowing that God had made a promise, and she trusted God that he was going to follow through. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And then I'm going to skip to verse 24. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. And I want to add who you thought was drunk, but it doesn't say that. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped, him, he worshiped the Lord there. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. Skipping a little bit ahead, 1 Samuel 2.26 tells us, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. I thought that sounded familiar when I read it. Who else was that said about, right? And that was said about Jesus. This tells you the quality of relationship with God that Samuel had. We see in... Luke 2, 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I don't know how you could have a better comparison in your life than to Jesus, but these words spoken of the two of them, it's just to me, that was just one of my, I don't know, Holy Spirit moments when I I was like, wait a minute, I've heard that before. And then, if we um, if we move ahead, and we don't have time to read it, but if, if we move ahead to chapter three of 1 Samuel, we we see the call of Samuel. Um, because, I mean, I try to I try to flesh this out and live what Samuel must have gone through, being raised by Eli. I mean, he's a young he's a, he's basically a toddler. When he's brought to the house of the Lord. And, and to have Eli's two corrupt sons as your role models. And yet he turned out the way that he did. I mean it, it just blows my mind. But there was a place in, in Samuel's life where he was called by God. And again I, I invite you to read that. But I want to read to you uh, chapter 3 verses 19 through chapter 4 verse 1 says, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Israel I know that sometimes I I probably don't I I want to say let me back up I love God's word I love God's word I do and I love when he has a word directly for me like when I'm here worshiping and he says Greg I love you don't you love those words when his Holy Spirit says I love you I'm working with you keep following me I won't let you go. I love those words. Sometimes when I'm driving, some of you may have experienced this. I'm driving, I'm listening to the radio, God will trigger something. But I shouldn't tell you this, but it might even be a secular song I'm listening to. But I know, I know. But God will trigger something. And I'm not joking with you at all. I've had to pull to the side of the road. Because I, I just couldn't see. <laughs> he was just doing something in that moment. I love those moments when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart that way. But I love this too. And, but I want to say that sometimes I let this sit and collect a little more dust than it should. Yeah? God can make this so alive when we read it but we have to crack the book. I want to encourage you. If you haven't cracked that book for a while, do. Read it. Samuel brought the words of God and the redeeming redeeming power of God to Israel. God was able to use Samuel so powerfully because of his constant devotion and attention to God and his will. God is able to use us powerfully when we are devoted to him. God used Samuel to anoint David as king and move Israel into its golden age as a nation and establish the kingly line from which Jesus came. There's a famous verse in in, uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. This is after... um, Jesse had invited all of his seven strapping, kingly-looking sons through, and Samuel was ready to anoint every one of them. Surely it's this. One. No, it's not. That. No, surely it's this. one. No, it's not. That. Surely it's this one. No, it's not. Not surely. Okay. I, as a guy who barely tips the the height bar at five foot eight, I have a tremendous respect and admiration for anybody who's like really, like, takes up space in a room, right? Right, Jaime? I can't come down off the stage. I want to stand next to him. I mean, all right, they're going to get, they're going to, this is going to mess things up so badly. Come here, Jaime. Come here, dude. Thanks for being a good sport, buddy. So, so. If I was picking a king and I'm standing there and he's standing there, I'm going, oh, my goodness, let's go for the big guy, right? <laughs> but I'm so glad that God doesn't look at that or this. Okay, I'm going to summarize. I'm going to summarize that verse that I was going to share. It says that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Amen. you got a good heart. <laughs> another point put it up we've got it we can't know the full impact of faithfulness to god in our lives but we can always know it will have lasting results we we can't know god knows we don't know but if we're faithful to him what kind of impact can our faithfulness have we sang songs about the generations. That, I think that's the one that just tore me apart today. Meg, you were amazing. Um, that was such a great, great song. And God does things to a thousand generations. We don't know what impact. It's our daily devotion and obedience to Jesus through his Holy Spirit and his word that keeps us on track with him. This sacred journey in the purpose and will of God is the sanctification that carries us from justification all the way through to glorification. Like Israel, we may sometimes find ourselves in a cycle of sin, calling to God for rescue, being delivered, and then repeating the cycle over again. God has given us his word and his spirit and each other Okay, let's not leave that part out. God's given us his word and his spirit, but there are no Lone Ranger Christians. He's given us each other. To break the cycle. Oh, there's that word. And get us back on track with him. I want to I share another little thing about cycling, and I'm, my time's almost up. But You know, sometimes when I've been out on a, on a long ride with, with, with friends, I have come to a place where I've just bonked. I've just I'm just shattered. I have nothing left. And more than one time, you know, I maybe I have 20 minutes or 20 miles to go to get home. And more than one time I've relied on a friend who's still strong who says, "Hop on the back," by that they mean follow my wheel, get in my draft, and I'll take you home. More than one time, many times I had been in a circumstance where I had to literally depend on someone else to motivate me, to protect me, to, to, to shroud me from the stuff coming my way so that I could make it home. And we need each other to act as a shield sometimes so that we can make it home. It's not, it's not, just, it's not just His Word. It's not just His Spirit. It's each other as well to help bring us home to be with Him. Amen? So, as we walk in the light, His light shines. Here's another thing we can't forget. As we walk in the light, His light shines on those around us. And I'm concluding with a little three-line sanctification summary. We can all remember this. I remember things that are simple the best. Turn from sin, walk in the light, Make right choices. Can we remember that? Turn from sin, walk in the light, make right choices. As we, as we close, I just want to make an invitation to each of us. And um, go ahead and bow your heads. And um, I, I just want to pray for you. And I want to pray right now that, Holy Spirit, I want you, Lord, please move in each of our lives Lord, help us walk and understand this sanctifying work that you do as we walk in the light. Help us turn, Lord, from things that are keeping us from fully walking with you. Strengthen our devotion to you. Strengthen our commitment to your will in our lives because, Lord, our desire, we confess right now, our desire is is the same as your desire our desire is to become more and more and more like your son jesus so lord that's my prayer for everyone here and that's my invitation that we would press in to know you more that you would help us lord when we are failing that we would turn from sin that we would walk in the light And that we would make right choices as we depend on you, your spirit, your word, and those around us to help us when we just need help. Thank you, Lord. We ask it in your name. Amen.